Hey, this is Sebastian for the Metal Gods Meltdown, and I'm joined by... I'm John Roach from Mithra. It's such an honour to be speaking to such a legend from the new wave of British heavy metal tonight. Mithra formed way back in 1976, have a huge underground following. How does it actually feel to be reformed and playing gigs again? It's great. It's really, really great. I mean, we've been friends since school. Me and Morris have been friends since we were 15 years old. Uh, we met Vince when we were 17 years old. Um, it's just great. It's a really, really good feeling. Really good atmosphere. Lots, lots of laughs. All of the time that's passed between there and uh, you know the, the the mid 70s and now, it just feels like it's it's just gone like a snap of your fingers. When you first formed, you weren't originally Mithra, were you? What was the name of the band? Yeah, it was uh, Zarathustra, which <laughs> is uh, an interesting choice of name. It was a bit of a mouthful and. Most people used to say, Zara what? And so the quest was for another name. Zarathustra, it's, it's, a, it's a funny thing. I've always been interested in religion as a form of control. Uh, I'm not a religious person. Religion, Zoroastrianism, is supposed to be the, the forerunner of Christianity. And uh, Mithras is uh, a god in Zoroastrianism that holds the balance between uh, light and dark. So the name Mithras, with an I and an S on the end, really appealed to me. Uh, and then it was just a case of changing the spelling, dropping the S, and here we have it, Mithra. So, Warriors of Time, the anthology, was released near the end of last year. I understand there had been a compilation release some years before, without the band's knowledge, and full of glaring mistakes regarding song titles, lineups, etc. How annoying was this for yeah. you guys? It, it, it wasn't annoying at all. Uh, to be honest, um, it was a strange discovery because I was talking to a friend of mine uh, who's not involved in music at all. I explained to him that I used to be in a band and that uh, it was called Mithra, and he checked it out on the internet and he said, oh, you've got a record out. And we said, what? And I had a look, and sure enough, there it was there. So I got in touch with the guys and said, do you realize we've got a CD out now? It's on Cherry Red Records, British Steel. And uh, very um, proud, not disappointed. I mean, if you understand a little bit about the history of the band, uh, we, we've we've been uh, disappointed since day one. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we 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 we're one of the first bands to re- uh, a, a release in uh, of any sort of recording. You know, with Def Leppard and Iron Maiden, and we. Um, were a, a bit successful right at the beginning, but um, it was never about the money. I mean, we were 19 years old. Uh, we were uh, we were just going for it. We were young kids, full of spunk and vigor, really going for it. Um, the intervening years, the disappointment when that long worn off. Uh, it was interesting for us to start then rediscovering our history, and it was actually at that point in the early 90s that we discovered that we had become legendary. We weren't aware of it at all. Really? Well, you, you were legendary... I don't know what's wrong with tonight, Eva. <laughs> you were legendary to me back in the day. I mean, I think I was about 12 years old when I first came across Mithra. Um, wow. All the way in Devon. <laughs> but I had <laughs> relatives up, up here, you see, and so I used to come up and someone just let, gave us, lent us your EP, and I just fell in love with it. Anyway, that's what that'd be all going... Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I did actually have and own the original copy of the Death and Destiny EP all those years ago, yeah. and it's been misplaced. 
Have you still got an original copy? <laughs> Funny you should say that. How epic is that? That's mine. I lost it. Can I have it back, please? There's <laughs> <laughs> another one as well, actually. I've got this one as well. <laughs> oh, wow. No, I didn't have that one, I don't think. <laughs> yeah. <It's absolute> <laughs> wicked. That's wicked. It's just crazy how much they're actually going for on eBay and that. How does yeah, that... Yeah, that... Stupid, stupid money. Stupid money. <laughs> But, it, but again, you are total legends. Um, I used to actually work with uh, Mr. Perry, and I used to call him a legend. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Alex is a legend. He Alex is, is a, a real legend. He is a legend, yeah. Like I say, um, I was just at a lowly job where I worked, but uh, I used to call him the legend all the time. <laughs> anyway. He's a great guy. Great, great, great guy. He's brilliant. It's an interesting story with Alex, because this lineup of the band now is the... Um, uh, how do you put it? I mean, I, I've described it as a super group, really, because uh-huh. I was the first guitarist and Alex was the last guitarist. And so <laughs> it's like boot ends. We've got the first version of Mithra, the last version of Mithra. Um, Vincent and the original members all the way through. And, um, of course, it was getting together for Brofest when uh, Alex and I played together for the first time. Really? So it's it's been really interesting. It's been it's it's a great experience. Yeah, I mean, you really get an opportunity to push each other really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's fantastic. Alex is a superb guitar player. It's uh, it's it's really really good. The sound is so full and powerful. It's brilliant. Awesome. Of course, you've uh, recorded five new tracks for the album as well. How pleased are you with them? And are there plans to release a new full Mifra EP or album? Um. We're very pleased with the way they've turned out. They were, um, with the exception of Reaching Out, which was a, a track that um, Vince and I had had for some time, uh, we decided to write completely new material rather than bring out stuff that we'd worked on in intervening years. We thought that would probably be the, it would have been the quickest way to do it. We would have then just went straight into the studio without doing any writing. But um, once we had, uh, made the decision that we're going to do some new tracks. We thought, well, let's do some new tracks. Um, Reaching Out was um, uh, the original plan for Reaching Out in uh, 2002, I think it was. Was um, It was going to be, this is Mithra Reaching Out again. Uh, we're coming back. Uh, and and it, nothing happened. It didn't, it didn't materialize. It was difficult to get a band. And uh, for one reason or another, it just died in the water. Um, so when we came back, we thought it was a good idea to keep that because the, the feeling of the song it was still current. We, we, here we are, we're reaching out again. And um, the, the, the other songs were um, brand new. It was a case of um, let's go away, write some demos, come together and work on what we've got. So we, we decided there was probably seven or eight songs. We decided on the, the, the best five or the five we enjoyed playing the most. Uh, recorded those and uh, and there we have it. Uh, best is yet to come. Uh, you, Faith, 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 and uh, Face in the Mirror. Um, great songs, old school, but hey, we're old. <laughs> oh, we are. <laughs> totally. So, do you think there will be an EP then or an album somewhere along the line? Or yeah. is... you do? We've talked about it and it's something that um, we are writing. We're exploring uh, concepts we're exploring uh, subject matter um it, it sort of threw us a little bit this time so we 
the subject matter. We tend to think a lot about what we write. Um, we try not to be too preachy about um, uh, in terms of lyrics, but inevitably when you get to be a certain age and you're frustrated by the way the world is run, by the way um, uh, populations behave, uh, you it's inevitable that that comes out in your work. And uh, Vince is a, a brilliant lyricist. Um, in, in the early days when, when we first started, um, I used to write the lyrics and um, I used to write the music and the lyrics. And to be honest, it's a great um, weight off your back as a songwriter not to write the lyrics. It's very, very, very difficult to get the theme right, to get the, um, the, 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 the right mood. Uh, Vincent's got a fantastic vocabulary. He, he's got a very, very sensitive approach to the world. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's working really well. So it's basically we're in a position where we've just given over lyric writing to Vince. And so uh, Mo, Alex and I, uh, we write together individually. Um, we put songs in, we say, look, this is a complete song. Do you like it? Yes or no? Yes, it's good. No, we start again. Or we might take a bit out of that and put it in something else. But it's working unbelievably well. Absolutely. I mean, you're talking about Vince uh, England. That's a song that's so relevant today and sort of touches on a lot of themes that are actually happening in the world at the moment. You know, um, that's just an awesome song. One of my favourites, actually, on the end. It's it's brilliant. The the, the interesting thing about that is uh, some guys listen to it sort of with half an ear. And they're concerned that it's a bit right-wing, it's a bit fascist, and if you listen to the lyrics very carefully, it's anything but that. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's a superb song, it's, it's fantastically crafted, it draws you in because of the uh, apparent antagonist of the music and then sensitivity of the subject matter, it's, it's a brilliant song. It is absolutely awesome. Yeah, of course, I didn't write it, so I can say that. <laughs> <laughs> it is really good. Okay, um, you mentioned Brofest a few times, of course that was the first time you'd played and first time like you say you played with Alex how was that day and what's your most abiding memory from being back on stage that day um it was uh it was nerve-wracking to be honest when we first got there um we didn't know what to expect we'd rehearsed we'd rehearsed well we knew we were gonna we were going to enjoy it we knew that we were ready um we didn't know how we were going to go down. We didn't know whether people would like us. We didn't know. Um, we, we, we really just went with an open mind to enjoy ourselves and let people. We knew there were some people who had been in touch with us on Facebook and um, who, who, who have been fans for some time and who were going to come and support us anyway. Uh, we, we, we knew that was going to be. Uh, we were going to be a hit with these guys. Uh, what we didn't expect was the reaction that we got from everybody. Uh, we were blown away and um, of course you, you feed off the audience if the audience is responding to you then you respond to the audience and it, it's sort of like a feedback it just builds and builds and builds um, we were um, we used Avengers backline we, we, as everybody did that uh, at that gig and uh, the Avenger guys were superb they were really really helpful very very supportive um, uh, it, it was um, a fantastic atmosphere and when we finished um, we came off stage and we, we, there was lots of people who wanted to talk to us uh, people from all over the world it was absolutely fantastic um, it was a, it's a highlight it's a, you can't describe it as anything else 
other than a highlight. For me personally, it was a highlight. I know talking to the rest of the guys, we were buzzing for weeks. Uh-huh. That's wicked. I mean, obviously with something like Brofest, that's just shown that there's a shed load of new wave of British heavy metal bands reforming, reformed. Um, what do you put this down to? guys maybe who've um it, like in our case i mean i, I never stopped playing I, i've played um in bands i've played um it, on my own i've played i've never stopped playing i played guitar since i was 12 years old and I, I never really imagined that there would be another opportunity to play um the music of my youth the the, the rock music that i that i love and enjoy and the I guess it's the same with all of the other guys. Um, I don't speak to many guys because I tend not to hang out in the scene. It's one of those things. I have a lot of friends in uh, a lot of other uh, New River British Heavy Metal bands, a lot of other bands, but we tend to um, uh, hang out outside of the scene. We don't go to each other's gigs and things like that. So I don't talk to them about these things, but I'm guessing it's a similar thing with all of us. We, on the one hand, uh, didn't expect it to be so popular uh, a second time around and speaking personally at this stage in your life or in my life I have time and I don't care <laughs> as far as um, when you're young you're desperate you want to make it when we were in Mithra when we formed originally uh, we had ambition in spades you know we didn't want to be um, uh, a, a local band that was a hit with two or three hundred people we wanted to be bigger than Led Zeppelin uh, you know, that, that was the size of our ambition when we were kids. And as you get older, you realize that that ambition is uh, what drives you. When you get to a certain point in your life, you realize that you're driven by realism. Um, our ambition now is not to be large, not to be famous, not to be... Um, our ambition is really to be heard, to make lots of friends, to actually meet people who've been our fans for years, who've been... Friends supporters of us for years. Um, it's amazing how many people come to us with the original uh, records and want them signed. Uh-huh. Uh, it, it's fantastic. Um, the other bands who are trying to um, uh, do what we're doing, I'm guessing they're trying to have a good time. They're trying to enjoy themselves. Because the, all the guys that I see uh, who are playing the same stuff as us, they are enjoying it, big style. Yeah, absolutely. Um, of course, like you, you, you said, Mithra were on the verge of being huge and you really could have been and should have been. All these years later, I know you've sort of gone over this, but do you feel that the poor band management and maybe not moving down to London was what held you back in the day? Uh, undoubtedly, undoubtedly. Um, the, the point um, where I left the band in... Um, 1980, um, and I was. There was a point where uh, they were struggling to find another guitarist, and eventually they landed on uh, Mickey Rundle, who was a young guy who uh, recorded all of the tracks on the Death and Destiny album, with the exception of WASA, which was Alex, and the four EP tracks, which were the original Death and Destiny EP. And so he doesn't get as much credit as he should as being uh, a formative member of the band because, interestingly enough, when we talk to people 
most of them, the only thing they know about the band is the four Death and Destiny EP tracks. They've then since discovered that there was a little bit more, which is slightly different and different direction, um, less um, uh, sort of sword and sorcery and uh, demonic and more um, pragmatic, I guess. Um, the, the point where Alex joined the band was the point where it should have really taken off. That was the point where the opportunity to move to London to uh, expose themselves to a wider audience, uh, the uh, management shortcomings, which was basically Morris telling me that the gigs were drying up. Um, it was pretty much over. The new wave of British heavy metal scene. You know, everybody got into the uh, what we called the um, sort of disparagingly at the time we called them the poodle rock bands. You know, the spandex and big hair. Yeah. And so uh, most people were going for an American sound, and uh, so I think that the, the new wave of British heavy metal had sort of petered out. Not the need for it or the, the drive for it. I think the audience for it had just moved on. So it was a it was a question of timing, really. The ideal time I'd want to go back a bit in history as well because you played the famous Mayfair in Newcastle many times supporting the likes of Saxon. How does that make you yeah. feel when you pass the place now that is the eyesore, the gate? <laughs> it's funny because you look and you, when you go past it, you, there is a little bit of sink in your heart where you think, well, you know, we used to go there. We used, I mean, when we weren't playing, we played there many times, but when we weren't playing there, we used to go there. You know, that was where you hung out. We'd go to the city tavern in Newcastle and we'd drink as much beer as we could and then we'd go to uh, the Mayfair on a Friday night. That, that was what everybody did. And um, uh, Rock of the North, brilliant place. And she said, the gate, what's it for? What is it? You know? <laughs> it's just an eyesore. Played a few times there with Saxon. Do you actually still stay in touch with Biff? And how amazing would it be for you to get a support slot with them? I, I never actually played uh, with Saxon, but I know the guys told me many stories about um, the, 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 the fact that the guys, the, the guys in Saxon were very, very friendly and supportive and helpful. In fact, one of the tales that I, I heard was when they arrived at um, uh, the, 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 the big uh, barn dance, heavy metal barn dance, where they were going to be supporting um, Motorhead uh, Girls' School and uh, Saxon, all of the... Uh, the people on the uh, venue, uh, when they turned up at the gate, the security guards didn't believe that they were actually on the bill because they looked so young. <laughs> I wasn't part of the band at that point either, but it was interesting that you know, they had to actually go and get 
someone from Saxon to come down to the gates to let them in because they didn't believe that they were on the bill. Wow. It's amazing, you know, you think that, well, Saxon are, it was only because they played with Saxon at the city, uh, sorry, at the, uh, the Mayfair, that uh, Saxon were able to actually ver- verify it was them. Wow. <laughs> so, ha- happy days. Well, you can imagine int- that, where's Mithra? They're outside, they can't get in. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just interesting, because, like, Saxon took a bit of a slump, didn't they, in, the, in their career, and now they're, like, massive. Yeah, you just never yeah. know. It would be great. It, it would be great to get back and support with them again because one of the things that's really uh, admirable about them is they haven't changed. They haven't changed their um, their stance. You know, they haven't compromised. They've basically stayed true to what they are, and it's admirable. It's really admirable. Of course, you've had a huge influence on a certain drummer called Lars Ulrich. Have any yeah. of the band ever spoken to him? Uh, no. <laughs> There's a great story, absolutely fantastic story, which is um, when Metallica were putting 
the New River British Heavy Metal influences on to an album, which was brilliant. It's an excellent um, for someone to be open and honest about uh, where they came from and what inspired them. It's very admirable. They get a fair bit of stick nowadays for where the direction that they're going in and stuff like that. But you've got to move on. You've got to grow. But one of the things, uh, apparently, uh, they got in touch. They wanted to use. Um, we, I remember reading an interview with Lars, and he wanted to use. I think it was Death and Destiny or Killer, one of the songs that I wrote. He wanted to use that on the albums that he based used a uh, Hollow Grounds cover version. Well, they were doing all the uh, new British heavy metal cover versions, and apparently got in touch with um, Terry Gavigan, who'd never heard of Metallica, so said no. <laughs> <laughs> Which is awesome, you know, you know, like, and the, the stupid part about it, when I challenged him years ago, yeah, years later about this, in 2002 or whenever it was, uh, he said, I couldn't get in touch with you, that's why I licensed the record to British Steel, I couldn't get in touch with you because it had been such a long time ago, and one of the things that he hadn't realised was that my parents lived in the same house that they lived in when I recorded the stuff. Uh, Morris's most parents lived in the same house. We had the same telephone numbers. Barry Hopper, the drummer, his parents lived in the same house that they did. So all of the contact details that he had for us in the, in the 1970s would have still reached us because our parents still lived there, and yet he never once made the call. Shocking. <laughs> it, it's great the way you, when you look back at these things, it's a great how circumstances conspired to keep us out of the limelight. It's brilliant. Oh, you should, have you ever thought about writing a book about Mithra, the story? I think you should. Make a film, man. <laughs> it's awesome. It would be a catalogue of disappointments <laughs> and good laughs, you know? <laughs> you should do it. You should, you should like, do it. Every single, one of us, every single one of us in the band really, really enjoys a good laugh. And uh, it, it, we are very serious about what we do. We, you know, we play our instruments to the best of our ability. We write songs that inspire us and motivate us. But at the end of the day, it's all about having a good laugh. But you have to be philosophical about it. We've all moved on. We've all decided that the music business is a shitty thing. It's a shitty business. Uh, there are a lot of people in the, in the music business who will rob you, they'll steal from you rather than be upfront with you, which is why it's really refreshing to meet someone like Bart Gabriels, who is very open, honest and upfront. And if he doesn't like you, he'll tell you. Mm. Uh, if he doesn't like your stuff, he'll tell you. If he does like it, he'll tell you. It's great. It's very, very refreshing. He's a guy who uh, has integrity and he has honor in an industry where it's very, very rare for those qualities. So he's got a big thumbs up from the guys in Mithra. So we're big fans of uh, Bart Gabriels and uh, score records. Talking about my favourite subject, tribute bands, I absolutely, I, yeah. I just got no time for them. What's your feelings on them? This is going to be, well, it's confessions time, I guess. You've been in I a tribute band. <laughs> in, a rush, in a rush tribute band. <laughs> <laughs> so not only is it not heavy metal, it's prog. It's, uh, it's rush and it's a tribute band. Um, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. Having said that, the, the reason for setting the, the band up was not to actually go out and play gigs. And just if you look around, do some research, it'll be very difficult for you to find any information about places where we played and audiences who enjoyed it. Because basically, we were doing it because it was bloody hard, and we wanted to do something very, very challenging. So what we're going to do? We're three guys from we'll a former tribute band and see how how good we can make it. So, having said that, I thoroughly enjoyed being in a Rush tribute band. Here's the other confession. 
I've never been to see another tribute band before. <laughs> so I mustn't like them. Do you keep up with today's hard rock and metal releases? And if so, who's impressed you the most recently? If I'm honest, I don't. Um, I'm a, I have a, a large eclectic musical taste, uh, like most of the rest of the guys. But when I, I, I tend to go back to things, you know, like uh, uh, one of the most recent albums that I bought was the first Queen album, believe it or not. It's an album that I'd lost, and I, I kept thinking about the songs in my head and how they were constructed and things, and I thought, I'm going to have to get that album again. So I tend to do things like that, really. It's 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 sad, um, but I don't actually really know much about any of the um, the newer bands. I'm a big Porcupine Tree fan, mind. That's another thing. I like Porcupine Tree, mm-hmm. and... Um, Again, that's a prog thing. It's um, uh, th- there's an edge to their music, and uh, the lyrics of Steve Wilson are just superb. I, I really like very, very dark place that he comes from in his lyrics. Uh, different the, the, the textures of the music and that. But in terms of um, the heavy rock stuff, I bought um, uh, Iron Maiden's album and found it difficult to get into. To be honest, it's it's a, it's a strange con- um, a strange confession to make, but. Um, I've listened to it several times and it's, it, it doesn't do it for me. I'm thinking, I hope that's not what's happening when people are listening to our new, our, our new stuff, you know. But that's all you can do. You can just cast it outside and hope for the best. You let them go and hope, hopefully people like them, you know. As well as writing the book about Mifra, which you've got to do, what would you like yeah. Mifra to be remembered for in years to come? I would like to think that um, this sort of um, current lineup of Mithra could go on for um, a long time and do some worthwhile music for as long as people are interested. At the end of the day, it's the people who decide if we're putting out records and nobody's buying them, if we're playing gigs and nobody's coming, then you know that it's over. I would would love to be, you know, we're already remembered as being... um, the word seminal comes to mind and it's not a word that we applied to ourselves it's a word that other people have said Mithra were a band who spawned uh, genres of rock which makes us laugh I mean if I'm brutally honest about that every single rock album I had as a kid my favorite song whether it was Speed King by Deep Purple um, right the way every single song that I liked when I was a kid was the fastest song on the album. <laughs> so I used to write, when I wanted to write songs, I wanted to write songs that I wanted to hear. So all of the songs I wrote were fast. And, you know, I, I used to like listening to um, lyrics which were ambiguous, which could be interpreted in many different ways, depending on your mood. Um, and, you know, I, I used to do that. I used to try very, very hard to do that. and. The fact that somebody's actually bought some music that I or Morris or Vince, Alex has written, and they've protected themselves onto it by listening to it and absorbing it and enjoying it, that's awesome. It's it's that's absolutely fabulous. And if nothing else, I would like to be remembered by the people who've enjoyed the music so far. But I'd love to think that this is a book too. So this is that was the Mithra that burst into existence like a supernova 
really brightly shone for a few months and then sort of quietly faded away and disappeared and then flickered back into life again in 2000 and then disappeared and then came back again in uh, 2015 for Brofest and but this time stayed. I'd like to think that maybe the third time we can keep the spark going a bit. So if we're going to write the book about Mithra, I hope this is going to be like part two rather than the last chapter. I sincerely hope so. Can you give us a bit of an idea then for the plans for the rest of the year? Um, I know you're playing Manchester and have a couple of gigs as a concert in Newcastle. Uh, are there plans to try and get a bit further away, abroad even? Yeah, we've got some uh, gigs we're playing in uh, Keep It True uh, in, in, in Germany. Um, we've got a few more gigs uh, lined up. We've, uh, it's, it's an interesting position to be in because we're... Um, we're all of a certain age, but we're all sort of professionally engaged, shall we say, elsewhere. Mm. So you've got to fit it in amongst your career, uh, the things that you did as an alternative to being a rock star. And um, because we happen to do that, we're doing things like um, being quite selective. I, I see a lot of... Uh, the, the, one of the most embarrassing things that I think I saw was... Um, uh, a, a well-known new wave of British heavy metal band um, put out on Facebook that they were available for gigs. And I thought a little bit of me sort of curled up and cringed and thought, you know, guys, that's that's awful. That's, you know, is that what you you, you, you think? That, is that going to help? And um, it's not it's not something that we want to do. We, we would like to play the right gigs in the in the. In the <laughs> when we were kids, we would play gigs. We would get a phone call on a Saturday afternoon and play a gig on a Saturday night. We would travel halfway across the country to do that. We're trying to be a little bit more selective now, and we're trying to play the right kind of gigs. But again, um, with um, Bart, Bart Gabriel's helping us with contacts, we're getting uh, interest. But it's a slow process, you know. One of the th interesting things is um, I watched, uh, I'm watching with interest, uh, the development of Fist, because they played the Brofest before we did. We were supposed to play that Brofest, but uh, I broke my collarbone, so unfortunately that was completely out of the window. I just couldn't do it. So we played the following year. But if, if you take that as um, with, with, uh, the status quo, that Fist played Brofest a year before we did, so they're on a wheel, if you like, which is going around a year in advance of us. It's taken them quite a, a while to get some reasonable sized gigs where they're able to build up some momentum and some um, uh, sort of power behind the brand, if you like, the brand of Fist. And um, we're looking at them and saying, well, that's probably how long it takes. This year we're planning to do maybe half a dozen, maybe 10 gigs. Next year, we're hoping to do a lot more, because obviously the more you do, last year, we only played Brofest. We did one gig last year, and uh, it, it's taken a long time to get to the point where we're going to do half a dozen or ten. From those half a dozen or ten that we do this year, we're hoping that that's going to build so we can do some more. I look at Raven, and I think that's where I want to be. I want to be playing a lot of gigs for couple of months out of the year and having a really good time. Um, th that would be ideal. Um, how the other guys feel about that, I don't know. 
Um, I'm pretty sure Vince would be up for it. Alex has um, he's basically moved into a bit of um, a semi-retirement, shall we say, at the moment. Um, Mo, who knows? Phil, I think Phil would be up for it. But we just got to wait and see, wait and see what happens. The, 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 the thing about it, um, the gigs, we're not desperate like we were when we were kids. And we're patient like we weren't when we were kids. So we can hang on. We can. The only thing is I'm concerned that we may, um, by trip feeding ourselves out there, we may uh, miss the boat, so to speak. But it's a risk. It's a risk we take. Uh, it, there's no, there's no um, formula, there's no magic formula to say this is the way to do it. No. You just have to do it the way that you think it's going to work, you know? Four words to describe Mithra. Four words to describe Mithra. Light, dark, fast, and the last word, <laughs> I'm actually, the last word was in my mind, is perpetual. <laughs> <laughs> Mithra just goes on and on. Do you have any final words for your fans and our listeners? It's an absolute pleasure to be back. Everyone in the band is really stoked the way things are going. We're hoping things are going to get bigger and bigger and better and better. We're hoping to see a lot more people in a lot more parts of the world. Uh, the support for the band has absolutely blown us away. We don't know how we can thank anybody or everybody enough for the encouragement uh, that they've given us over the past year since Brofest. And even going before that, when people heard that we were playing Brofest, there was a wave of emotion. Uh, and we, we felt that and it's inspired us and we hope that that continues and we won't let you down. I'd like to thank everybody who's at, at one point in their life enjoyed the music of Mithra. <laughs> what more can I say? This is John Roach uh, from Mithra, my favourite track written by Mo Bates and Vince High, UFO. It's been a pleasure talking to Seb on Metal Gods Meltdown.